to the DIY Animation Show, where we get to the heart of what it means to be an independent animator. I'm Lauren Morse. And I'm Jessica Dahl. Together with our guests, we'll explore tips, tricks, the psychological, the fundamental, and above all, how to make whatever you can with whatever you've got. From the keys to the breakdowns and everything in between. The timing's right to do it yourself. Let's get rolling! back with the crazy tall, crazy awesome Todd Favela for part two. Today's episode is chock full of DIY nuts and bolts gold from start to finish. There's so much and here's just a small taster. We talk about the beauty and satisfaction of animating loops. Todd gives us a complete walkthrough of his animation workflow wizardry. We discover the human wonders that are compositors. And we talk about the importance of play and experimentation in personal projects. To top it all off, Todd shares his favorite things about DIY animation. And the one most vital thing he thinks a DIY animator needs. Prepare your minds for the knowledge you're about to receive. All the knowledge! Let's go! (laughs) Taking off the knowledge land! I really want to animate right now. I know I do too. I'm like, I'm like, what can I, what can I do that's like a fast little sequence that I can use that overshooting and everything on? <laughs> animating a loop would probably satisfy that. In case you can't animate a full-on scene or animate dialogue, it's a good way to stay consistent and then like practice your arcs, if anything. Yeah. It's like maybe you have someone like folding clothes. You'll have like the arcs of the hands coming in or like kneading a pizza. Something where it's like a constant, you know, motion. Mm-hmm. You can like practice your arcs. It's also something that I've used on a show or I've actually used in my freelance where you make something so that it can loop. You'll actually do that a lot as you're working. You'll have to dress sets and have crowd scenes. Crowd scenes will have, you know, multiple characters doing something. So if you can figure out a way to like animate something on a loop and utilize your flash knowledge to like, you know, duplicate symbols, swap out things, change genders, change heights, do what you can to like reuse the animation. Like there's a lot of reuse that you can do. Mm-hmm. It's a really good way to like build up assets for yourself. So like if you want to animate a raindrop or maybe have a cup, you know, like a clear cup and it's like that fizzling soda, you can keep that and build yourself like a little like, you know, either like a character loop library or a prop library. So if you ever need to like dress your animated series or like your own little show, you don't have to keep animating the same thing over and over again. You already have a little library to pick and choose from. That's such a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's so good. So do you, do you use that in your personal work um, or is it just for work work? Uh, I do. Usually if, I, if I'm in a rut, you know you have those days where you're trying to draw something and it's just not working? Yeah. Yes. Uh, have, <laughs> that's one of my exercises that I do to get out of it. I'll do a loop of something. I'll be like, all right, how do I make this thing bounce back and forth where it looks believable? Or I'll just be like, you know, I'll just get an awning and like Google SketchUp and then like animate water dripping off of it and keep it consistent. Oh, that's nice. Um, 
or something small, like ask a friend, I'm like, hey, what, what have you sketched lately? And I'll be like, oh, I did this. And I'm like, cool. I'm going to take this from you and practice on this. And I'll practice off my friend's designs to like get me out of that thing. Help me think uh, in terms of like someone else's mind. It kind of helps. I don't know if that makes any sense. But like, I asked Mallory once, uh, Mallory Carlson. She's a Nick painter now. So I asked her if I could animate one of her designs. So she sent me a fox and I animated a fox or her fox walking. And then uh, another friend of mine, she worked at AJHD. I asked her if I could animate one of her characters. So I did like, I did a head test for her. I had the character like blink and move its mouth. And then they help break out. Like, I know what I do now. And like, I don't usually post that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. If you can do like little exercises like that, and then also like work with another person, it'll help prepare you to get all that mindset where it's like, uh, I can't draw, like nothing's working. Maybe my key is like, Maybe I can't think of something, so if I help develop another idea, like, you know when you see something, you're like, oh, man, I wish I could do something with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, going for it and doing it and maybe just keeping it for yourself, not putting it out. Like, just kind of like sketching, like a like a master study or just, like, studying someone's work helps unblock any kind of artist block or satisfies that, you know, like, I don't have a scene to do or I don't have, like, anything to animate, but I have this, like, need to animate and I need to do it. So it's, mm-hmm. a, it's a cool little, cool little thing to do. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, Yeah, I guess it's kind of like almost like accidental or sort of casual collaboration and sort of helps with that, you know, starting with a blank canvas. If you've got someone else's character, you're riffing off someone else's idea. It's like, oh, brilliant. I know what I want to do with this thing. You've kind of already got something to work with. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. That's a brilliant idea. I love it. I do too. Do you find that when... um, Basically, like if you're in a rut so that you don't bite off more than you can chew. Do you have any criteria for yourself for keeping those exercises at like a manageable size? Usually I'll, I'll have something in mind. Like I'll know what I want to do. Let's say I just want like a cat, like, you know, moving her tail back and forth. I'll keep it simple mm-hmm. so that I don't bite off more than I can chew. And if, if something's not working, I'll just, you know, start something else. So I was trying to animate a flame, but the flame is just not coming out right then I'll just go ahead and just scrap the flame all together and start something different. So I'm not doing something where I keep like messing up. I try to like, you know, do something where I'm doing something right. And then I go back and try to build up my skills. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess it's kind of um, come to a place of feeling confident with what you're doing and then sort of replenishing the sort of emotional energy reserves, I guess, so that you're ready to go back and tackle the challenge. Does that sound... Yes. That's right on money. <laughs> so you got to do. You have to feel confident in yourself. You have to, like what you just said, like, Build your confidence, you know, get in that place where you're like, yeah, I can do this and then just tackle it. And if you have that mindset, you know, you know, you're going to get it done. And typically it's, it's going to work out for you. Just got to believe in yourself. Trust your gut. (laughs) 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 Uh, Yeah, that's so true. I realized uh, a few years ago when I had to animate the queen parachuting from a helicopter. What? (laughs) (laughs) And, um, <laughs> but using like flash symbols, so it wasn't frame by frame, which I think potentially could have been easier. Oh, I tried it all day and I came up with something and it was, it was okay, but it wasn't that great. And went home and like on the train back home and on the train back to work in the morning. I sort of realized that actually, if you think about it enough, you can animate anything. You can observe it all. You can get tons of reference. And just by trying and trying and trying eventually you can actually you can animate it mm-hmm. no matter how difficult it is it might take a lot but it is possible awesome it's like you just have to you just have to put in the time you just gotta you just get through it and you can get there yeah oh 
Yeah. And and like you were saying about, you know, doing something that builds up your confidence. Once you're kind of at that stage where you feel confident to tackle it, then yeah, you can take on anything. Yeah. (laughs) So when it comes to setting up a scene in Flash, do you have any methods that you particularly like to use? Yeah. I think the first thing you need to do is to organize your files. So to have a folder on a portable hard drive that says, you know, Project Lauren, Project Jessica, whatever your animation is called, and then start setting up your files within there. So a good thing to do is to storyboard everything out, make a note of every single scene change. So if you're doing a short where maybe it has like 20 to 30 changes in scenery, it's good to sort everything out so it's like, you click into your project name, and then you have scene one, scene two, scene three, scene four, scene five, scene six. So you can animate and work on files separately and mm. not so much in one go. I've seen some people animate everything into one file and they just use keyframes to swap out scenes. I think it's a lot easier just to like time everything out, cut it, and then uh, insert it into your animation, mm-hmm. like into like a, a program like Premiere. Now that you have your project name and it'll be on your, your hard drive and then you'll have your scene numbers. And when you click into your scenes, you'll have separate folders for everything that pertains to your project. So you'll have the storyboard for that scene, you'll have the background, your animation, and then your final animation, Mm -hmm. or maybe like the dialogue. And what you'll do is make a template and make that in Flash. So you have to figure out your aspect ratios for a template in Flash. So uh, I think the norm is 960 by 540. That way you're working on a smaller file, it doesn't eat up your RAM. And when you put it into Premiere, you can just double the size. And since everything's vectored out already for your animation, there's no change in line quality. That's great. What are you What are you exporting as though for importing into Premiere? I would f- export as a FL, no, a Swift, and take it into After Effects. Yeah. And then from there, I just go ahead and add the dialogue to the scene or not, depending on how I mix the final track. Mm-hmm. Um, you could if you wanted to. You you don't have to. You can have like a silent animation, add the audio in later. So what I'll do is I'll I'll render out my animation, put it into a Swift put the Swift into After Effects, and then render out a movie at the ratio it's supposed to be at, you know, like 960 or if anything, you can put it into After Effects and render it at 1920 by 1080. Mm-hmm. And so you can just get that animation and put it into Premiere. That's great. Yeah, because cause I've run into that problem before where I've tried importing Swifts into Premiere and I don't think it allowed me to. Uh, I believe you can't. Can't. Yeah, yeah. So so that, that makes a lot of sense. So going into After Effects bypasses that, and then you're able to up that resolution size. Yeah, because uh, I work in CC and CS3, mm-hmm. and I know that the QuickTime they render out for Flash wasn't the same quality as a Swift, and I, I just felt like it was better just to render it as a Swift, put it into After Effects. And in After Effects, you can change the animation a little bit, so you can like you know make a separate layer. This is where you probably want to know someone that does compositing work. My friend mm-hmm. Trevor, I worked on a, I worked on a short. I was like, hey, what can I do to this? And he's like, dude, you can do this, this, that, that. And like, <laughs> for me. Yeah, but he had all the know-how. <laughs> yeah, he had like everything. So he just like, he was like, yeah, you can just do this, this, that, that. We'll give it a little bit of grain. We'll do like a undershadow that the old cartoons had. Yeah. And oh, like on a cell. Yeah. Oh, wow. So you, can, you can emulate a cell look onto your animation by using like a blur and an undershadow when they shot cells, unless it was HD, which they, you know, they didn't really do HD back then, mm-hmm. I, I guess. But it like <laughs> makes your it makes your lines like a little softer, and the color still stays the same. And you also have like that 
shadow underneath, so it kind of looks like normal animation. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Knowing someone that does compositing will help you on your project. If you decide to collab with someone, if they know, like, the more you know about After Effects, the more you know about you know compositing, the better your animation's going to look. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, version up your files, like make put your stuff together and, you know, put like scene one, version one. And every time you work on it, version it's like version two, version three. That's where it helps to have it on a portable hard drive. So you're not saving this onto your desktop and your, uh, was it like the C drive? Mm-hmm. Uh, but like you're not taking up hard space. You're you have it on a separate thing, and in case like something messes up, you're like you can go back to any previous version, redo it if you need to. Yeah, that saved my butt so many times. Yeah, me too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like oh. <laughs> when do you personally like to put in sound to your animation? Like sound can add so much, whether it's music or sound effects and all of that. Do you like to plan that out? I mean, obviously plan it out in your boards, but do you like to try to put sound effects, like rough ones, within your working flash files or working animation files, I mean? I would say uh, I probably add it in compositing just because I usually know what's going on with my animation. It's like I'll board it and then I'll know what I'm trying to say and what I'm trying to do. Mm-hmm. It's usually easier like for me time-wise just because I don't want to waste a lot of time looking for sounds that match what I'm doing while I'm doing it. So I'll save everything in passes. So I'll do like an animation pass and then a cleanup pass and a color pass. And once I start like compositing something and throwing it into Premiere, then I'll go in and like start testing out different sound effects and, you know, adding it to the animation and timing it out perfectly. So it's like, does this work? And it's like, no, but I already have the placement for every sound effect. So I can just, you know, test it out, delete one, swap them out. And I feel it's easier to do it in post. That makes a lot of sense. And it probably saves up on a storage space too, like file size. Yeah. And saves time. You're not going back and forth between things. You're just, you're going with your workflow and getting things done. And then like now that everything's done, you can like focus on, you know, the sound effects and just little details to your project. Yeah. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. How detailed do you like to get in your boards in regards to like character poses and even just like the amount of boards that you have? And then when you pull it into animation, how much do you stick to those boards or do you find that you deviate and how does that all go for you? Uh, I'll try to, I'll try to make it rough just so I have something to look at. I'll, I'll have it in a rough phase where I know what the character's doing and I have like the expression, but I don't necessarily have it on model. And then I'll go ahead and revise everything afterwards so that I'll either change the change the expression or if things aren't hooking up to like the next shot, I'll go ahead and you know, adjust it so that, like, say a character's falling over into, like, a pool or something. I know the next shot is the splash. It's an, it's an old technique I found out about watching, I think it was Rad Seekers talk about the Jungle Book. Yeah. Oh, cool. And how they cut on, they would cut on the action. That's something I do in my in my scenes. I'll try to cut on the action so that the scene flows a lot smoother. Um, an example of this in the Jungle Book that he gave, it was the part where Ka has uh, Mowgli and Shere Khan comes by and kind of, like, taps his tree mm-hmm. or something. No, he, oh, I think yeah. he grabs him. He, like, he yanks him. And during the yanking, you don't actually see him yank all the way down. You see him yank, and then Ka, like, jolts in the next scene. It was, it was, a, it was, a, it was a nice way to, like, transition into the scene. So Shere Khan came by. He grabs his tail and pulls. And on the pull motion, Ka goes with that pull motion and then slides down. When he slides down, it goes into the next scene where Ka's sliding down and keeping everything, like, consistent. So when he unravels Mowgli... Or, like, when he unravels himself, he unravels Mowgli and, like, you know, everything's moving. So just making sure, I guess, for me, is, like, making sure that things that are moving are moving in the next panels. That's cool. So you don't follow the action through to completion. You just allow it to sort of, like, half to three-quarter play out. And then in the next scene, let it finish playing out in another manner. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's awesome. 
<laughs> yeah, it's a it's an easier way to like make your story flow. So, like it'll be easier to hand someone something for the next person to like reach over and then from that cut switch to the person taking it. Mm-hmm. So you have a easier transition. I'm trying to think about like for that, would it be important to consider like when the contact because there are two people involved, it's like there are two actions. So is it just a matter of what you want to emphasize? With both of those actions, how do you choose in an instance like that with more than one action, like where to cut? I would say uh, it depends on the scene. So say it's like a, a bounty hunter and an old sheriff. And it's like the Wild West or whatever. He's yeah. like talking to him saying like, I need to find this person, blah, blah. And, you know, he hands the photo over to him. And like when he takes it, depending on the scene, like say like the person knows who the person is. Uh-huh. Or it can even be that person. Like, he's handing the photo over to the bounty hunter, and it's the bounty hunter. (laughs) You can focus on having both of them in the same scene. So, like, you get it holds on that, and they're both in the scene. Uh When he holds onto it, the guy doesn't let go. He looks at the sheriff, like, what are you doing? The sheriff kind of looks back. Or you don't even have to show the sheriff look back. Just have him, like, look at him and look down, and then you have the bounty is on him. Yeah. Or if it's, like, a sheriff handing over the photo, and he gets it. Maybe it's someone personal, like a family member, and you can just focus on him and his reaction towards the photo. So like, I guess like just evaluate the scene and then pick what you think is best. So it's almost like the action can go from either like that physical action to an internal one. So it's like, is it the external action or is it like that internal one where it's like the internal reveal in a way or something like that? Yeah, definitely. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> Do you have any personal projects you're working on? We're going to a couple illustrations a short that I've been working on for about a year. And I'm working on a web series called Frat Cats. It's about a girl that adopts these two cats from the shelter, but they're like frat boys. (laughs) Um, But she she doesn't understand them because they're cats, but like there's like two bros that do things in a cat sense. You know, like, bro, what are you doing up there? And it's like, oh, dude, I found this place. It's like the top of the bookcase. It's the best place ever. There's like dumb party animals. (laughs) <laughs> they're they're li- literally <laughs> dumb party animals. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like in that chibi, like, you played Neko at Sumi. Oh my gosh, I love that so much. Yeah, it's kind of like that kind of style, but they're just like frat boy cats that hang out and play oh games my goodness. and do things like that. The girl's totally unaware. She just thinks like normal cats being like, you know, doing normal things. <laughs> oh, oh, that's yeah. amazing. <laughs> oh my goodness. That's really cool. I'm really looking forward to that one. That's super cool. Can't wait to watch that. That's gonna be that's gonna <laughs> rock. Oh my gosh. <laughs> you say Nico Atsume. It makes me think of um Michiri Nico as well. I don't know if you know that. I suppose it's kind of like comics, but it's on YouTube. Uh, but it's that kind of like visual style as well. I'll have to check that out. Yeah. There's the most adorable like march that they've animated and they're all like in a brass band and it's just so joyful <laughs> and so cute. I love it. But yeah, that sounds like a brilliant project. Yeah. It's such a great concept because cats are just the weirdest sometimes anyway. So when's that? Do you have a tentative release date or just kind of going as uh, I freelance. So sometimes I don't know if it'll be like a slow week or if it's like a busy week and uh, like I'm trying not to have like a deadline, so I don't disappoint my audience if I if I get an audience. It's kind of just like a like a thing that just comes out like every once in a while. But hopefully, like I can get it down to like a short a month, uh, depending on how how long they are. I was looking for like thirty second little shorts, but if that's the case, like maybe like biweekly, cool. I don't know, like a like a weekend project or something. Do you, do you mean as in taking a weekend to make it? Yeah, working it a little bit during the week, and then mm-hmm. on the weekends, like if I. Like, setting aside some time, 
to work on that. And then, you know, just, just making sure like what I put out is the quality that I want to put out and I'm just not, you know, rushing it. Yeah, I just I have to balance out work and my personal work. So it's probably a good, uh, a good schedule to have. It's just like work on it slowly and then let, let it pick up. Yeah, it's great. So that's actually a fantastic segue because I wanted to ask you about professional and personal work balance. So obviously as a freelancer, you have to pursue work and seek out work. And in the meantime, you have the time that you want to focus on your uh, personal projects because you do want to make progress on those personal projects and personal animations. How do you balance those? Do you find that you that you have to put a little bit more priority with one over the other? Or do you just try to allot equal time to each of them or, uh, or maybe another method? I usually focus on work first. So I'll go ahead and look at my work schedule, see like what they need, balance it out to, you know, my rate and making sure that I have enough time to like work revisions and work the project and get paid fully for, you know, my time that I put into the project. And typically it's like an, like an eight hour day. Like I'll, you know, wake up, I'll start getting to work. I'll take a lunch break. And then like at five, six, whenever my, my eight hours are up, I'll go ahead and call it a day and pick up tomorrow. And then from that point on, if I'm feeling like drawing, I'll draw. And if I don't feel like it, I'll draw because it's very, it's very easy to like start working. You're like, all right, well, I'm already working. I'm already doing this. Like, I don't feel like, you know, like drawing after I've been drawing for eight hours. It's a good thing to like make sure that you set aside time to put into your own work and improve upon like, you know, your portfolio, your reel, you know, side little animations that you're doing or like your web comic, your personal stuff. And just make sure that you're taking care of yourself and focusing on yourself like after work. I know some people get burned out and they, they stop working and they go home and it's kind of like, like, I'll just watch TV and, until I feel like going to bed and browse Twitter, which is, which I, I think is fine. It's good to enjoy yourself and take a break from work. Like sometimes you just, you just get burnt out working as an artist, you'll get burnt out and you just won't feel like drawing because your brain can't take it. But I guess a good thing to do is, uh, is to set aside time for yourself and make sure that you utilize that time correctly. You, you work your eight hours and you do your work for a certain amount of time and then you stop. And then you make sure that you take care of your health, you know, get a workout in, you know, go for a run, walk your dog, you know, spend time for yourself, uh, you know, doing just like normal stuff. And then either it's like on a weekend or a wind down drawing, even just apply it towards yourself, like take an hour out of the the work week to like, you know, draw a character or like start keying out an animation you want to work on the weekend. And on the weekend, Saturday or Sunday, whichever day you're not busiest is to maybe treat it like a work day or like a casual work day or like set aside like a couple hours or maybe even a day and just, you know, focus on what you want to do and animate what you want to animate, draw what you want to draw. And it helps keep your skills on point. And it also satisfies that feeling of, you know, when you start working and you start thinking like, man, like I really wish I could do this. Cause you know, like you get, you get sent links to like cool little animations or cool comics, funny little tidbits. You're like, ah, oh, I wish I had time to do this. And it's mm, just like, yeah. It's basically, yeah, it's basically like time management or like maybe if I just set aside like a little bit of time and then like focus on myself for like one day or focus on my projects for one day. Uh, that way you, you have to do it and you have to commit to it and mm. doing it when you kind of feel like it, you might get like a couple hours in a week. But if you set, set aside time like during the night or on a weekend, you know, you can turn like a couple hours into five to eight and, and that, that's kind of nice, too, because that provides some flexibility. If you can't commit to, like, the just couple hours a day, then it's like, well, then at least set. I like the idea of that casual work day for yourself where it's just it's for you. Or if that doesn't work, then you can jump back to the other ones. Like, like you can always make it work. Like, if there's a will, there's a way. But you can make it work. So, yeah. Yeah. 
Do you find that like the personal work that you have done, has that informed your professional work at all and vice versa? Like whether that's through style or content or anything like that? Yeah. Sometimes I'll, I'll try new things. As I'm working on personal work, I'll, I'll be a little more open to experimenting a little bit. And, you know, sometimes experiments can go like horribly or they can go <laughs> like something where it's like, oh, I've never noticed that before. Like you could do this and it just makes your life a little easier. It's not going to hurt you like to work on personal work. I recommend that people do that, like set aside time for themselves, like sketch or, you know, put together like a sketchbook for themselves mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. helps build your fundamentals and builds your draftsmanship as well as gets you knowing your program a little better. If you like find a, a new little trick or a new plugin that you can experiment with, not do it at work where, you know, you could do something and just completely mess up your entire file and you have to start from scratch or <laughs> go back to like a previous version. Yeah, I think it's important to have that time where you get to experiment on stuff without it having so much of a detrimental effect if it does go wrong. Yeah. Like taking away the consequences so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. So it just becomes kind of play and proper experimentation. I feel like I need to do more of that. I find that whenever I do that, I've been doing more personal work lately and it's always like, you always feel so good afterwards. Like even if like, even if it didn't go the way you expected it to, if it did just turn into like Frankenstein's monster or something like that, (laughs) uh, then it's like, that's okay because you still have Frankenstein's monster and it's really awesome. Uh, But, or um, I don't know, just like the act of actually working on personal work is just so gratifying. Yeah, I think it's definitely important to, um, as you say, make sure to set aside that time for yourself. Well, certainly for me, it helps keep me sane. and feel like I still get to all the ideas that I have running around in my head, not feel like they're completely on hold. Mm-hmm. That's good. Yeah, yeah. They're, a lot, they're given space to just kind of like run free. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Can we talk about your pixel animation? Yeah, we saw a really cool sequence on your reel. Fancy one? Yeah, yeah. that was amazing. Super awesome. It's amazing. Oh, that, was, that was an awesome project. I was so excited when I uh, got asked to be on that project. Yeah. Like, you want to work on Final yeah. Fantasy? I'm like, yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> it's so iconic. Yeah. It's a, it's a cool little little thing to like show people like, hey, I worked on this. Like, really? Like, oh, I know what this is. Like, it's, it's Final Fantasy. I'm like, yeah. Oh, yeah, it looks so good. How was it working with pixel animation? It was fun. Yeah, like, like, have you, had you worked in pixel animation before? No, it was all new to us. Well, not to, not to some people. The team that was working on that also did, uh, this episode of Community that was, I think, (gasps) pixelated. Oh, I love that episode. That was amazing. Yeah, that was, that was done at Titmouse. It was the same crew that worked on that and they, they did, like, it was like a Final Fantasy story recap from, I think it was like Final Fantasy 13. So we got to like watch like all the cutscenes. It was the director and the character designers did the characters and they basically just gave us like a, like a bunch of assets to work with. I got on the project and I started doing the effects. So I did like the lightning, the strikes, like when they cut someone, I believe the fire maybe, um, if there was fire, oh, okay. the flashing, I did a trick where I made the characters like flash in and out. And for the most part, it was, it was pretty easy. It was just, uh, just making sure like things lined up, you know, like pixels lined up with the pixels. Mm. And since all the assets were on symbols, you just kind of like clicked between the two. You'd grab your symboled character and then type like one, three, five, and had like different poses. So when they walked, it was like one, three, one, three, one, three. So. Oh, cool. Yeah, so I didn't have to animate them going through the thing. And just, you know, you just animated the tween, keyframed it, or you just tweened it out and then animated within the symbol. 
That makes so much sense. Pixel animation has always just seemed like like this beautiful mystery. <laughs> yeah. You you mentioned that uh, there was a part where like the characters were flashing in and out for one of the effects segments. Like, what were you trying to do in that part for the characters to flash in and out? It was a part where I think one of the characters got struck by lightning. So they, they flashed black, white, and like their character color and then like white and then black and it was like going back and forth. And it was just a it was just a trick that I was just messing around with in Flash where you get the symbol and then you change the exposure to like a hundred and it'll turn white and we put like negative hundred it'll turn black. So if you have like a character that flashes in between colors, you can just do that in your symbol and just make them flash. Just make sure that you key it out. Oh yeah. wow! It's so simple, but it's so effective. Like it just like it yeah. adds so much because it's like something's coming with this character. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. Super cool. Or even like a even like a gradual. There was a scene where I think the main character transforms into like another armor. So I just twinged it out so that the first keyframe had no exposure and then the middle keyframe had the full on exposure and then I just I just changed the design and then keyed it down to like a no exposure and just swapped the character out. Yeah. Just yeah. Oh, that's so good. Uh-huh. With animating the characters, did you make them all in flash? Yeah, everything was done in everything was done in Flash. Yeah. Well, I did animate the characters, but they were already pre-done since mm. character design was the one that did the walk cycles and the turns. Oh, okay, so they just made all the poses and then you switch between them. Yeah. So good. So within the symbol, there was one pose, and like on the next frame, there was another pose. And the next mm-hmm. frame, you know, there was like the front pose and the front walk. One where they passed out, or one where in the fine stance. So they gave us those and we were able to like put them into the file. And what we did was we put the symbol into the file, uh, labeled it, and then we changed the symbol to single frame instead of loop. Uh, oh, okay. What that does, yeah, what that does is it, it works within the animation and the symbol. Oh, it holds it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's something we do in, with, with, uh, with head packs and like mouth packs. So we make a mouth pack where... Uh, you have a symbol with animation inside it, and what you do is you put that symbol on a single frame, and when you move between the numbers, the symbol itself changes to whatever is animated in the within it. So it was the same concept that we applied to Final Fantasy, where we put the character on a symbol, put it at single frame, and then from there we moved it to different uh, numbers because there are different poses. Yeah, that's so good. Mm-hmm. That's brilliant. Yeah. Were there ever times when... You saw that a pose needed to be like tweaked or anything like that. Like, do you talk to the design team if you notice something like that, or are all the bases sort of fully covered and you don't have to look out for that stuff? Usually, the bases are fully covered. Um, the director, if he wants a change, he'll let you know. Uh, oh, okay. For a project, there was a change where a character took their hood off and like threw it, and so <laughs> Stephanie, who worked at Titmouse, did that scene and changed the model just added that extra arm change to the character symbol. But for the mm-hmm. most part, like, uh, design the character poses and stuff like that within that project, it was, it was already done for us. That's cool. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's, that's so cool. It's super, so interesting, because I'm really into trying some pixel animation at the moment. I haven't got around to it, but it's, like, it's on my list of things to do. <laughs> oh, so, it's, um, it's definitely fun. You should try it. Super cool. So, Todd. Mm-hmm. Can you name, or rather, can you tell us what your favorite thing or things are about DIY animation? Like, what's the thing that is just the best about it? I say the, the best thing about do-yourself animation is getting your ideas and realizing them. Yeah. You take so, you take an idea and it just kind of like blossoms in front of you. You just 
give it life and then put it out there. And then I think the best part of the, that stuff is like you do something, you create it, and it's like your own personal little baby. And someone else sees it and they enjoy it. And you're like, oh my God, this is amazing. Like, that's the best part where you do something and someone loves it. You're like, cool, I thought of that. I came up with that. And it's just a different kind of feeling. Yeah, that's so true. It's like you've given life to this thing and now everyone else can enjoy it too. And they do. And it's just really, I don't know, it's cool. Yeah, it's super cool. Super rewarding. Yeah. And just kind of branching off of that, and it's actually our final question. What's the one most vital thing you think a DIY animator should have? Drive. You should really want to do it. Actually, not want. You actually need to do it. There's a talk I had with a teacher once. He made everyone in class like raise their hands. Like, how many guys want to be animators? And everyone raised their hands. Like, how many guys need to be animators? And almost everyone dropped their hand, except for like me and a few people. And he points to us like, these are people who are going to be animators because it's a different thing. Like, you can't want something. Like, you have to need it. You have to need to bring a character to life, or you need to like design your your short. You need to like animate it. And you need to put it out there. Like, it's something that you owe yourself is to put yourself out there and let people know you have a voice and you have particular set of skills that a lot of people don't have. And you need to show the world what you do and you need to let people hear what you have to say. We have to show them. It's that need and that drive that will take you places because people will recognize that. They'll want to bring you onto a collab or maybe even offer you a job seeing like, you know, I see that you're like really passionate about this and it'll show in your work that you really enjoy what you do. So I would say like a drive and a need for animation is probably the best thing for do-it-yourself animation. The more invested you are in yourself and the product that you're putting out or like the animation that you're putting out, the better it's going to be. Mic drop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was, oh man, it's just so true. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. So many people wanting things, but you do need to have to need to do it. Yeah. Because especially, well, I mean, you could probably say it's true of any art form, but I feel like especially for animation, because of the nature of it, it's sometimes not for the faint-hearted, really. You need to really love it. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like when you just want it, that it's a lot easier to make excuses for not doing it. And then just kind of like, oh, I can do it later. And you just kind of put it off and put it off. But if you need to do it. Yeah, you make it happen. Mm -hmm. With whatever you've got. Yeah. (laughs) The DIY way. (laughs) (laughs) Don't doubt yourself. Just, you know, just do it. No one starts off being the best. You're going to run into like some obstacles and like things are not going to work out, but eventually things are going to click. The more time you put into yourself, the more time you put into your craft, the better it's going to become. Listen to people that do it. Find a good like handful of friends that you can talk to about the stuff. Every artist goes through, you know, like, I don't, I don't think I'm cut out for this. It's good to surround yourself with people that will push you and be like, no, you, you have to do this. This is what you love. This is what you, you should do. Go for it. Don't give up. And like surround yourself with people like that. And then it also helps you like with, you know, accountability. It'll, I think it'll help push you to like do stuff more on your own and get you where you want to go. It's true. It's super good. That was really good. Thanks, Todd. Thank you, guys. <laughs> totally. So, Todd, where can we follow you on the social medias? And what's your website? Cool. So my website is toddfavela.com. Uh, I have a Tumblr. It's tawd.tumblr.com. Uh, I get a little more in depth about the projects I work on there. You can find like a lot of you know sheets and production art that I've done professionally. And on Twitter, Todd Favela or at Todd Favela. 
I'm, I'm pretty boring. I don't have any cool, <laughs> cool Twitter names. And if you want to hear more of my amazing voice and other people talking, I have a Twitter called Let's Draw With. And I'm going to start having people come on and talk about their experience in the industry or, or we're just going to like live stream and talk about things or draw or show tutorials, tips and tricks, anything like that. Cool. That sounds great. Nice. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Can't wait to check that out. That's going to rock. Yeah. Super cool. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Todd, for, uh, for being on our show. Well, thank you for having me. This was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> likewise. This was a really, 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 really fun interview. <laughs> yeah. Like I want to make a gif like right now of like a looping animation with like the overshooting i'm just gonna like i'm like all right as soon as i'm gonna get to drawing (laughs) (laughs) well that brings us to the end of todd's brilliant interview brilliant is the absolute correct word to use there was so much knowledge all throughout this thing between the pixel animation and everything else i just am so excited to put it all to use oh i know i can't wait to dip back into it and just write more notes all the notes (laughs) all the notes So, Todd, thank you so much for joining us with your crate loads of Todd wisdoms. Mm -hmm. It was an absolute pleasure. I've said absolute many times. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think we left many stones on Todd. I don't. (laughs) (laughs) Todd, thank you so much. It was awesome. By the way, dear listeners, Let's Draw With is on hiatus right now, but you can still go check it out at the link below in the show notes. Yep. During the interview, Todd highlighted the difference between wanting and needing to animate. We wanted to ask, what have you found for yourself? What needs does animation fulfill for you? We would love to hear your answers. So come to DIYanimation.show to the Todd Favela Part 2 blog post and tell us about it in the comments. Or, as usual, comment on anything else you've enjoyed in this episode. Yeah, we'd love to hear. Mm Mm-hmm. If you've enjoyed what you've heard on this episode, or any of the other episodes of the DIY Animation Show, you can subscribe in iTunes and on SoundCloud. And stay up to date with the show on Twitter, at DIYA Show, and on Facebook, at facebook.com forward slash DIY Animation Show. All right, everybody, thank you for joining us this episode. Yeah, tune in next time for more special guest interviews, insights, and of course, Geeking out about animation. Always geeking out about animation. <laughs> Woo! Until then, follow your heart and have fun animating. See you soon. Bye. The DIY Animation Show is an indie production from your hosts Jessica Dahl and Lauren Morse. Our theme music was provided by Azure Flux. at DIYanimation.show If you liked this podcast, maybe you'll enjoy more art and story podcasts from our friends at the Oatly Academy of Visual Storytelling, featuring insights from some of the most inspiring voices in animation, games, visifets, comics, and children's books. Find them at friendsofdiya.com We'll see you next time. Can we talk about your pixel animation? Yeah. Yeah, Lauren and I, we saw a really, really cool uh, animated segment on your reel. It's all animated. (laughs) 
this one in particular was that super section heavy. was super heavy. <laughs> <laughs> it was practically real life. It was practically real, but it was pixels. It was incredible. 